All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do want to begin this morning by thank you, thanking you for this day, thanking you for this word that we're going to read. Lord, you are a good God who gives good gifts, and we know that one of the greatest gifts you've given is the truth of your word, and I just ask that you would guide and direct as we look at James this morning. Lord, I pray that you would begin um, working even now as we're thinking about the service coming up and as we examine your word in Luke as well today, Lord, we're asking for your spirit to guide and direct through every single part of what we do today. In your name I pray this, amen. All right, James chapter 1, and we're going down to verse uh, 16. So last week and the week before, we dealt with 12 through 15, um, and I didn't even think until this exact moment to see if we had any extra copies of our little handout with the notes. We probably don't. I don't see any on the front. No. Do we have? Do you have a blank one? Awesome. I. There's some back there too. Okay. Um, all right. So uh, while they're grabbing those copies, let's read last week's just real quick, just to remind ourselves of what we were dealing with last week and the week before. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So that's where we ended last week, the week before we talked about that whole passage. Now we're in verses 16 through 18, and it starts off with the do not be deceived. And I think that this is talking about don't be deceived based on what we just said, right? God does not tempt. Evil does not come from him, okay? So don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. And that's kind of an interlude between verse 15 and verse 17. So now let me read 17 and 18. And I know we don't have our copies out here yet, but... Uh, uh, as we're thinking about, we're going to start thinking about, remember, if you can remember now that handout, God's character, right? Man's character. And uh, we get down to the third one. Um, see, so we have, what do we learn about God? What do we learn about people? What do we learn about relating to God? And what do we learn about relating to others? And so as uh, Paul talked about last week, we're, we're not going to just jump into that first one. We're going to kind of think about which, which ones can we answer first, Okay, so that's kind of the goal. Anybody want it? We got some copies. Put your hand up if you'd like one. I'll wait till we get those handed out before uh, I read it. All right, so verses uh, 17 and 18. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, 
with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Let me read it again. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And before I share anything from the commentaries, let's just see if any of these questions jumps out as like, oh, I'd, I'd love to just jump right into that one. There's one that just, what do we learn about God, his character, conduct, or concerns? What do we learn about people, right, to be created in his image, our fallen condition, um, how we should live? What do we learn about relating to God and relating to others? Any of those just jump out? Might be a couple of them that just jump out real quick. Todd. Yeah. The first one, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, to throw in there, I, I, I figured somebody would bring something that whole light and shadow, right? In the Old Testament, the time that light is used plural early on is when it talks about the sun and the moon, the lights. And here we have God as the father of what? Lights. So it's kind of hearkening back to creation, isn't it? This is the same God that did that is now here, right? Which means when you think about that creation aspect and the fact that he doesn't change, there's no, not even a shadow of change, you know, God back then, he brought forth the lights. What else did he bring forth right at the end of creation? Man, woman, right? And what do you see in that verse, that next verse, verse 18? He brings, he brought us forth. Adam was brought forth from the what? Dust of the ground, the, the ground, right? Here this new creation. So it's clearly, James is alluding to old creation, new creation stuff, Right? And this, it does, it very much speaks to the, the character of God. He's the father of lights and bringing light. That's great, that's great. Anybody else? He's good. That's a great one, isn't it? All the time. And this is, this is good because in the middle of trial, which we were just talking about, is it good to remember that God is good? Yeah. In fact, probably, that's one of the easiest little truths that you can latch on to. In fact, this is a great verse uh, to latch on to and to memorize and put on a 3 by 5 card so that when you're in the middle of trial and it feels like God's bringing bad stuff, to remember this. God, no, God is good. The good things come from God, right? He brings good gifts. He's good. And sometimes when you're in the middle of something, that's about the only words you can get out. Sometimes, isn't it? Very simple thoughts. God is good. No, that's right. Wait, wait. God is good. He's good. Oh, yeah. Okay, so. Ooh, now, where did you get that? Have you? Okay. Well, oh, that's awesome. Great. Uh, so, yeah, it's. You miss. 
you miss that in our translation because there's different Greek words for gifts, right? And I was like, wow, she, did, she was, did she steal my notes? What? <laughs> that specifically, that word... Oh, you just threw me off, babe. You just threw me off. You're, she's a good gift. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah. Well, tell, me, tell us more about it since you brought it up. Well, there's just, I mean, I don't know that you want to go into it. Yeah, well, uh, yeah let's. Yeah. But it's talking about, it's just interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that there's two different, it doesn't just say, like, God is, gives good gifts, but he also gives perfect gifts. And so what does that mean? Why are those back? Yeah. What has he done for us as far as like mm-hmm. what has he bequeathed to us? Yes. And then the present tense of what's happening right now in our lives each moment. Yeah. So there's one of the commentaries I read said every attempt to try to figure out what specifically is meant it, we're not for sure. But it does make you think, yeah. It's an all encompassing James wasn't satisfied with just using one adjective with one noun. Good gift, good endowment. But then he had to come back again. Every perfect, mature, complete gift. So he, he had to think bigger. It just adds dimensions to, what, to the goodness of God, doesn't it? Um, yeah, so there's, there's not something specific at least the commentaries I read, they're like, it's, it's hard to really say for sure exactly what this, if he had something in mind. Most likely, he was just... Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It just, add, it just adds a dimension to the, the bigness of what James is talking about. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is not the first time you see in scriptures the idea of us being the first fruits. There's lots of other places from Paul's teaching where Christians are described as the first fruits. Uh, we had creation, but we're the first fruits of this new creation. Um, but yeah, it's what a. It's kind of mind blowing to think that. But then that helps us understand the idea that this is a gift that God has given. Um, anybody else? Anything else jump out at you? Yeah. Uh, I like that where it says of his own will. Mm. He yeah, that even plays into them what he was saying, right? It's of my own accord even the best of things that are laid out before me, sometimes I would fail to do it. I always like C.S. Lewis's illustration of like children willing to play in a mud puddle when God is offering us a holiday at sea. We're content. Um, he, I love that he throws in there the idea that we're far too easily pleased or satisfied. And here God is a good gift giver. Um, that word of truth, since you brought up that part of it, 
that word of truth. So there are four other cases of that phrasing, word of truth, in the New Testament. Okay? Um, I can give you the references if you go, man, I'd really like to have those references. Anybody want those references? Four other cases? Um, 2 Corinthians 6-7. They're all writings of Paul, the apostle, by the way. 2 Corinthians 6-7 is one of them. Ephesians 1.13 is one of them. So 2 Corinthians 6-7, Ephesians 1.13. Colossians 1.5. Um, I think there's another verse. 1.5 and something else. I don't know. I typed something incorrectly there. And then 2 Timothy 2.15 is the last one. So 2 Corinthians 6-7, I was typing quickly, so... If you look at any of those and it has nothing to do with the word of truth, I apologize. I'll pop my commentary back out and re-look re it up. 2 Corinthians 6, 7, Ephesians 1, 13, Colossians 1, 5, Colossians 1, 5 2 Timothy 2, 15. Um, in James, you hear the word mentioned in verse 21 of chapter 1, uh, also connected to saving. And I mention these to say that word of truth, all those four times that it's mentioned and then... Uh, later in James, when he talks about, he doesn't say the word of truth, but he talks about the word, just coming up real quick. They're all connected with this idea of the gospel message, the word of truth, right? And so I think James is talking about that he has brought us forth by that word of truth, by the gospel message. That's uh, a kind of a glimpse into how he does bring forth this new creation, Um all right, which is interesting as well. Then when you go back to the creation stuff, what is God doing in creation when he, he brings forth light? How does he bring light? By his word, right? Um, so this word of truth brought forth by the word of truth, there's a similarity, which then speaks to that there's no variation. or shadow. This is the same God that's bringing suns into existence, like S-U-N, right? Stars into existence, moon by his word, is the same God who is bringing forth his new creation by that word of truth, that powerful gospel message. Um, all right. Anything else that just jumps out at you, and then we're going to maybe look at, actually get to some of the applications this week. Yeah. I just find that idea you say, count all trials as joy. Mm. I guess that would like fall into every good gift. Mm. Yeah. Mm, it's good. Um, it's hard to look at those things as good, especially when they're extremely tragic things. But in all of those things, we can look at what good God is doing. He works all things together for good. Um, what was it? The psalmist says in Psalm 119, it was good for me that I was afflicted. Right? Uh, it's not that the affliction in and of itself is, I mean, we could split hairs, I guess, <laughs> you know, in some ways. This is, was the actual affliction good? Was it, no, it was kind of bad, or, you know, or was the result of somebody doing something sinful towards me? But I, I don't think that's, in the end, that's not where we need to be splitting the hairs, right? We need to be recognizing that God is good in all of those things. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think of, I think as well of that. You just think of 
those trials that we face, I mean, if you ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs and you look at the trials that people face as they face death, and I've been thinking a lot of lately about, you know, could, could we get to that point in our world? I mean, it's not like it's unheard of in our world today, but in our own country, in our societies, could we get to that? And uh, we think sometimes, will we be able to stand up under that? And sometimes I think it's good to recognize the temptations, the trials that we face now is building those, that steadfastness that James is talking about. Because then when we face those bigger ones, we'll have some practice, right, of being steadfast. Um, but then ultimately that character that's being transformed into the likeness of Christ. Um, all right, I'm going to give you one, more, one last chance. Anything else that just jumps out at you? And then uh, I think this week we may jump into some of those um, application questions. Yeah. Mm. Oh. Absolutely, that is so. That is great. Uh, I completely forgotten. I know that there's been times where, and I haven't done as much counseling as as uh, Paul or Charity have, but uh, um, I know that the few times I've dealt with, it, there's times where people say, "Well, I was praying for this, and I didn't get it." And this concept of God being the giver of good gifts, I think, can play into that. Would you agree? If, if, since God is the giver of good gifts, if this really was something that is genuinely good in that big sense, then he would give it. The fact that he hasn't means that at least for right now, it's not something good as of yet. Right? At least not in, in the situation that I'm in. Uh, that's that's overly difficult, I think, to discern. But I think that's where we go. There's that submission into God's hands. And we even see that in the life of Christ. When he prayed, he, he would pray, but then he'd say, let your will be done, right? And I think that all a lot of us have embraced that. We go, I'd love for this, but God, let your will be done. Um, that's very good. Looked like you were getting ready to say something. No? I just think it's, it's hard. It is. You know, it's hard to look at a barren woman. It's hard to look at a single woman at times when their hearts are longing for that good gift because those mm-hmm. are things that are good. And then look, they're looking around that God has bestowed those good gifts to others. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, just, it's very hard to... I think that's, that's the spiritual work that's always going on with the, with the Holy Spirit to, to transform the treasure... For me, I want what's good to I want what's good for me mm-hmm. from Jesus. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But it's so hard. It's hard not to like go horizontal and compare good giftings, mm-hmm. which is why Paul warns us, like, don't do that. Do not compare yourselves amongst yourselves. Compare mm-hmm. yourselves to the world out there that have, may have all those good gifts, but they don't have the good gift. Yeah. The better gift, you know? It's just I'm thinking about the, I'm trying to think, I think it's in John's gospel near the end, and there's this discourse that happens between, Jesus has already been resurrected, he's talking to John or Peter, I can't remember, I have to look it up, but uh, he makes some statement about John or like Peter, oh, he makes a statement about Peter about the way he may die, 
And then he says something. Peter's basically responsible. Well, what about him? And it's interesting that Jesus' response feels a little harsh. What's that to you? <laughs> right? It wasn't. It wasn't. He wouldn't be harsh. It could feel, it could feel that way. Especially if we read it that way, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Jesus with his arms around you saying, mm -hmm. I love you. you know, yeah. Like you can't just, you need them both. Yeah. And it just, it gets hard when you're just like throw that. And you know, Mark talks about that some, you know, when mm -hmm. you just throw the word at people and there, but there's no like relationship with the word. Yeah. With Jesus. Mm -hmm. you know? I think uh, for us personally, there's that, that danger of comparison. Oh. Right. Well, he did that, you did that for them, and why didn't you, and you, and that just, that does not lead to good places. If we, if we see it as being a bad gift from God, the problem isn't that he gave a bad gift. It's that we're, we must be seeing it incorrectly. Yeah. Um, but, but we just learned temptation is not from God, right? We learned temptation is clearly not. Um, God does not tempt towards evil. Um, you know, I, I think that that's, again, I, I think it gets challenging to figure out the details, right? I think it gets, I'm just being honest with you, it gets challenging to figure out the details. Um, I, always, I always lean towards the, the sovereign aspect of God's hand in all things. That's why I love going to that passage in Job where these people did this, and I, I've said this a lot of times in this Sunday school already, so I'm not going to over, overly hash it out. But, I mean, Job ultimately says, God gives, God takes away. And then the next verse, like I've said multiple times, he says, or the author says, under the inspiration of the Spirit, Job did not sin by accusing God falsely. And so in some way, ultimately, everything comes at the hand of God. Um, but we clearly see God is not the, there's verses that say he's not the author of evil. He's, he, he doesn't bring up. Uh, how that all ties together, um, this is why I land where I land theologically. I like saying, if somebody goes, is God sovereign over every single thing? Yes. Did this evil person do this against God's will? Yes. But I thought you said God was, yes. But, but if that's true, then, no, it, 
there must be some explanation of this that either A, our brains can't comprehend it because we don't have infinite brains, right? Or B, it's something that we won't be able to learn or understand until we get to heaven. God has not revealed how those things tie together. An illustration I love is the illustration, and I don't know if this is still true, but it was true like 20, 30 years ago. Um, physicists used to, when they looked at light, they would say light, there's, there's aspects where they go, light must be a wave, light waves. But there's also aspects of light that you go, you have, we have to treat it like a particle. Particles can't travel as waves. Waves can't be particles. That, that's impossible to everything that a physicist understands. But in order to study light, sometimes they have to treat it like a wave. Sometimes they have to treat it like a particle. Now, like I said, I don't know if this is still true. Maybe they've discovered something since. Where like, no, this is what, I don't know. But the point is, to, to, to at least at one point, that's the way it was. And actually, if they have discovered something, that just adds to it, doesn't it? it, it at some point... Physicists were like, we have to embrace both. Is it a particle? Yes. Is it a wave? Yes. How these two things tie together, we don't know. I think that God's sovereignty, man's responsibility, man's actions in this world fall into that. I think that every theological stance that attempts to take one step beyond that, as far as explaining it, if it's not from Scripture, uh, is a failure on that person's part. That's that's my personal stance. I think that we ought to embrace both to be true. If we let one supersede the other, we're doing something wrong because the Bible just states both, right? Um, and so you'll find that, I'm finding that to be true in this Sunday school class a lot. We, I find that we want to try to narrow it down, don't we? Is it from God or did this happen because a sinful person did this thing? Yes, Right? Yeah. If something bad happens, even though something else might be involved, there's always good at the end that comes out. Yeah. I'm going to, I would like to give an illustration that I've never heard anywhere. I've been thinking about this illustration for probably 15 years. I don't, I've never given it to anybody. I mean, I don't even share this with you. I, it, I don't give it because it breaks down if I examine it too closely, as any illustration does, right? Like any illustration of the Trinity will break down if you, like it's like an eight, well, no, it's, it, it, there's aspect, right? Do you see what I'm saying? Any illustration will break down. Here's the illustration that when I'm trying to work through this, I think about it in terms of an artist painting something. Now, most artists don't go, I've grabbed one molecule of paint and I'm going to put it right here. And now I'm going to get another molecule of paint and I'm going to put it right here. And another molecule of paint, put it right there. Most artists don't do that. They, they're, they're making brush strokes and they're making tiny brush and they're making big ones. They're doing all these things. Already the, 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 this illustration is breaking down. But a really great painter... The end result, when you look at it, might as well have been that every, I mean, I love like looking at, um, and you don't have a lot of painters doing this sort of thing now, but you look at painters from the last few centuries, 
some of their paintings, like they'll look at them up close and it's like, it blows my mind. It's like every, the end result is like every single speck of paint is exactly where it should have gone. And I think in some way, when I try to understand the world, I think I try to comprehend it that way. It's breaking down in my head, even sharing it with you. There's problems with this illustration. But when I try to work it out in a practical way, I think of God as, as a painter like that, that we're going to look back at the end result and we're going to be like, it's like every single part was perfect. Every down to, I mean, no matter how close you zoom in, it was exactly how he wanted it to be and what he planned on it being. But as we're experiencing it, it we got to understand that it's, he's making a brush stroke and these things are happening and, he's, and these little drops of paint are landing where they're landing and it may seem like that paint molecule has a mind of its own as it drips down the page. But I think we're going to look back and the end result, we're going to look at it and go, perfect. No matter how closely you examine it, there's not a one thing that fails to be exactly where this master artist wanted it to be. That's how I try to comprehend it. Okay, so I don't, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say what it is later in the sermon. I'm not gonna say it. <coughs> but one of the amazing things about scripture is you'll see things played out thousands of years before Christ that the people in that time had no explanation of. That by the time Christ shows up those stories play a part in what's happening then. So I think we even need, I think that's a great perspective to bring in because there, there could be things that you're going through that you may never in your life find out why. But if we are still around in 20, 100 years from now, if God does not, Christ does not return, there may be things that people will look back on and, you know, generations from now and go, oh, and look how that played into this overall arc. I'll give you one example that's not from my sermon today, but think of uh, um, 
is it uh, Ruth and eventually Boaz, right? Am I getting this? So think of all the hardship that she faced. And a lot of those things are like, well, the, some of the details would go, but there's at least one part that played into thousands of years, you know, hundreds of years later, where here you have Jesus, who's a result, right? And the result is not just that Ruth was eventually with Boaz, but that some of that played into the fact that she was a Moabite woman in the lineage of the Messiah plays into some huge grand pictures, right? And so there's, I think there's thing. I think that's a great perspective. I think it's good to, in our, you're right, in our time, sometimes we, we want answers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I hear them say, oh, the disciples, you know, often saying, why? Like, why are you doing this? Or why yeah. did you do that? And, you know, people through that uh, right there saying, why? Like, mm-hmm. why is he trying to, you know? And I thought, well, first of all, I love the show. I watched it, and it's so good. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, and that's how I think we continue, you know, mm-hmm. from that time to now saying, why? You know, yeah. like, Yeah. I'm I'm fighting I'm biting my lip, biting my tongue not to say no, there's a part there's a part no, there's a something that oh I wanna share it right now. Don't do it, I'm not gonna do it. Yeah. Yeah. Inherently good. 
know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like God is kind. He's a refuge. He's the lion mm -hmm. of Judah. He's the shelter of the strong tower. Like that, my faith gets big. But how much are we supposed to actually like sit around in these mysteries mm -hmm. that we're not going to have answers to until heaven? Well, I think that that's what Paul's talking about when when he talks about beware of the ones that delve into endless genealogies and the like. There's there's a point where you have to you yeah, find your wheels turning. Yeah. I've never whacked in my life. I don't know when. I was thinking about your illustration. Yeah. Something else. Yeah. We may delay that. We may delay that breaststroke. Yeah. That I, I don't know. I'm just like all of this kind of fits into it. Like we're looking at God as a as a one dimensional being. Mm -hmm. In reality, he's he's in every single thing from yeah. every perspective. Light with no shadow. Yeah. Like it is. It, he is the source. Yeah. And I mean, we can get lost in that mystery, like Charity was saying, or we can hold on to that. Mm -hmm. and like, nobody has the answer to this. Nobody's going to yeah. know the truth of this until we're all in heaven in his presence. Yeah. And I, what I'm hearing Todd say is that I, I had a really good illustration. Yeah, I think you did. I think you did. I think what Audrey said, too, I think what Audrey said, too, is really good. Like, if you are wrestling with the whys, that I think sitting with Jesus and saying, mm -hmm. why am I doing this? Because there's a difference between looking in the mysteries of God, like the way I heard Todd just describe it, mm -hmm. and I was like, yeah, no shadow. Mm -hmm. But 
if you peel back the layers and inside I'm just, I'm angry, I'm grumbling, I'm trying to give, ask God to give an accounting, then you know you're looking in the mysteries of the wrong. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah. And I think that's what we can, one of the things we can learn from Job is the one thing he does get reprimanded on is his questioning of what was God's purposes behind those things, right? Um, so I know we're about out of time, so let, let's, do, let's, let's jump to the end and think for ourselves what's some application we could take with us through this week because so I'm getting the look already. Let's, let's get one application we can walk away from. I, I've heard a bunch we can use, but maybe just what's one thing that you could walk away from this week? Short sentence. Don't question God. Just know he's good and he has a plan. Mm. Yeah, the good. What's what has he? What has he told us? He's good. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, that, I actually, I, I love that because the the answer isn't just an answer. The answer is a person. It's him. He's the answer, right? And that's that's multifaceted. Okay. Well, before I get in trouble, let's dismiss you. You're dismissed. Oh yeah, he's the one that does the where he you can't tell what it is, and then all of a sudden he goes boom, and it's something you're like wow. 